just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Sunday. Typically an easier going day than most of the other days the rest of the week. We still have plenty to talk about, though. Never fear about that. There is never a shortage of bullshit to talk about when it comes to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Now, I want to tell you something, because I know I'm going to get emails about this. Mike, you sound under the weather. You sound different. You sound tired. Well, I am a bit under the weather. I am a little bit tired. I got a slight cold. Nothing to be worried about. I haven't had a cold for a long time. Hell, my wife's had a couple of colds and I never caught them, but this time I did. Again, it's not really that bad. And thankfully, I'm up to date on all my boosters for COVID. I got my flu shot. I'm a little concerned that I might be at risk for rickets, but I'll have a couple of oranges. It'll be fucking fine. (laughs) So if I sound different today, that's why. I'm a little bit under the weather. I never understood what that term meant, where we came up with it, but that's what I am. So we don't need to belabor that at all. had a good day yesterday. And you know what my good days consist of, especially on a Saturday, is going to my grandson's basketball game, seeing my granddaughter, and uh, she's a fucking pistol, and I love every bit of it. She is just a little smartass, and uh, I I couldn't be happier. It was funny where uh, this kid loves eating treats, so I know this, and if she ever gets out of hand, you got all you have to do is say, treat? And it's like a dog. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll settle down. But anyway, we're standing watching the game on the uh, sidelines. And she's coming and standing next to me. And so she's eating a granola bar that her mom gave her. She's eating away at it. And and, uh, she has this friend. It's not her sister, but it's kind of her sister. This always seemed weird to me. I never knew how to how to explain it. Okay. Now, she has a stepbrother, okay? The stepbrother's mom and dad got divorced. His mom is the same as my granddaughter's mom. Now, his dad is the coach of the basketball team for which my grandson plays. And his father has a daughter, too. So it's really a weird situation when you think about it. You got these two little girls, very close in age. They have the same brother, but there is no blood connection to them at all. They're totally different girls, but they're both very cute, very sweet girls. And they like to play together, especially at the basketball games, because they're both there. Anyway, and they both love their big brother. Anyway, I'm standing on the sidelines with my wife and my little granddaughter. She's eating away on her granola bar. And her stepbrother's sister comes across the court and wants to play with my granddaughter, which she commonly does. And what they want to do is go out 
in the hallway just to run up and down the hallways. And uh, <laughs> it was just fun. Maybe this isn't funny, but it struck me funny. Um, so anyway, the, the little girl comes across, catches up with my granddaughter, and clearly they want to go in the hall. So my wife is going to take the two of them in the hall. I'm going to continue watching the game. They're going to run up and down the hallway. So, so my wife heads for the door. Um, my grandson's stepsister heads for the door. And my granddaughter starts heading for the door. But she gets halfway and she stops. And she comes back to me and she looks at me and she hands me this half-eaten granola bar and says, Here! Hold this. <laughs> so I'm holding this uh, moist or wet granola bar until she comes back. And they're running up and down in the hallways and stuff like that. And finally she comes back. I'm sitting there with the, uh, with the granola, the, the wet granola bar in my hand. Why I still have it, I don't know. She comes over. She looks up at me. She snatches the granola bar out of my hand, finishes it, and uh, then says to me, let's go out. <laughs> so it's real tough to watch these basketball games with her around. She loves her brother. She loves the basketball games. The best part she likes is is that she waits around till after the game and then she can run on the court. But what she likes to do is when the when the teams line up and give each other five, you know, talk, uh, shaking hands and stuff at the end of the game, she likes to be in that line and start shaking everybody's hand. And when there's pictures taken, she's got to be in the middle of it. You see what I mean? She's not, she's not a subdued kid. She's in your face, and, uh, and I love every bit of it. And you know what? I do appreciate you listening to my stories about my granddaughter because there is nothing more annoying than people talking about their kids or their grandkids and showing pictures. And I, and I appreciate you listening. I, you know, I suppose you could have sped ahead and gotten past this, but I don't think you do. And I appreciate it very much. You're you're very patient and tolerant with me, and th- and that's really important because my wife has had to do it for forty years. My kids have had to do it all of their lives. Everybody in my life that that I'm close to, I can say this about: they're fucking tolerant. They have to be. All right. Let's talk some business. Actually, I'm going to start out with an email. This comes from Deborah. She writes quite frequently. Love, Deborah. She says, hello, Mike. Daily listener here. You become the best part of my morning. Now you know why I like her. I can't tell you how I look forward to listening to you and your amazing guest. Always the voice of reason and sanity in this fucked up country. What's blowing my mind away is the fact that they keep finding documents in Diaper Donnie's house. What the fucking fuck is WTFF? I'm guessing on that. I mean, come on. There is corruption in every single level of our government. It is repulsive and disgusting and disappointing. They need to arrest him already while we still can and take all his insurrectionists in Congress with him. Have a fantastic week, Deborah. Well, I couldn't agree more. I did a TikTok earlier today, and and something struck me about Donald Trump with these uh, um, classified documents, and apparently it struck the DOJ, too. It was kind of weird. You remember recently in January, they found some more documents in Mar-a-Lago, and they found the uh, computer 
a computer which they'd copied classified documents and put them on the computer, which is a big no-no. And, of course, the aide that did it apparently says, I had no idea they were classified. Yeah, motherfucker, I bet. So Donald Trump and his people handed these over willingly, trying to take some of the heat off of them. And the DOJ looks at him and says, you know, hey, thanks very much. I appreciate you giving this to us willingly. But wait a minute. Didn't we search Mar-a-Lago? I mean, the DOJ and the FBI went through that pretty thoroughly. And they say they found this in Mar-a-Lago? Does that suggest this stuff was hidden someplace else and then brought to Mar-a-Lago and these fucking lawyers from Donald Trump don't have the common sense to think that the DOJ might ask about that? Things are getting pretty well down the road with these classified documents. I think think there's going to be some things coming to pass here very quickly. And and you're right, Deborah, we've got to get this going now. I really believe it's got to get going before the end of the year, if not sooner, uh, because then we're in the year of the election and then everybody's going to be whining and crying, well, we got to wait till after the election. That's not acceptable. I've said before, I'll say it again, if the Biden administration, the Merrick Garland DOJ, don't start holding people accountable It's going to bite them in the ass. People are going to get mad. I know they're worried about the people that might get upset and the divisiveness of of, uh, indicting a former president. But that would be nothing compared to not holding Donald Trump and all his cronies accountable. So I'm hoping against hope that that's what they do. Deborah, thank you very much for the uh, email. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Let's start out with not so much a, well, it's political in a sense, but it's, it's just the stupidest fucking thing. It's, it's funny, when I do this podcast, how many stupid things I talk about. It's really a commentary on this country and the people in it. I mean, these were things you never ever heard about. I don't know if the media was, was hiding it or uh, people had more common sense or the people of this country are apparently more tolerant for conspiracy theories and bullshit. (laughs) But apparently some 70 newspapers across the country dropped the cartoon Dilbert. Apparently that's a big deal. I don't know who still gets a fucking paper and who still reads the comics, but I know Dilbert has been around a long time. The uh, The comic strip over the weekend after the creator... Uh, they dropped 70, 70 papers, at least dropped this. Um, after, <laughs> why? Why would you do this? After the uh, creator apparently went on a racist tirade calling black Americans a hate group and suggesting that white people should get the hell away from them. Now, I know he did this because I saw the video, and at first I didn't know who it was. You know, I thought it was some right-wing crazy fuck, maybe a politician. But this is a fucking cartoonist. Why would you even do this? The USA Today Network, which operates hundreds of newspapers, said it had pulled the plug on the long-running comic strip. 
The Washington Post and the Plain Dealer, also in Cleveland, said they would no longer carry the comic. Again, who's still getting a paper? Who's still reading comics? The move came after Scott Adams, the cartoonist behind Dilbert, effectively encouraged segregation in a shocking rant on YouTube. His comments came in a response to a poll from the conservative firm Rasmussen, or Rasmussen Reports, and we know how accurate those motherfuckers are, that said 53% of black Americans agreed with the statement, it's okay to be white. The Anti-Defamation League has noted that the phrase emerged on the infamous message board 4chan in 2017 as a trolling campaign and has a long history in the white supremacist movement. And this is what he said. He said, if nearly half of all the blacks are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, that's a hate group, Adams said Wednesday on his YouTube show, Real Coffee with Scott Adams. Real Coffee with Scott Adams. Why does he have his own fucking YouTube show? Write the cartoon, Collect your money and shut the fuck up. Here's, I did some investigation. This guy's made a lot of money doing this. He's worth $50 million. That's what his net worth is supposed to be. So, you know, maybe he just wanted to retire and he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. Well, fucking is. I don't want to have anything to do with him, Adam said. And I would say, based on the current way things are... The best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away because there's no fixing this. So this guy is doing it based on a poll taken by a polling agency that we know is frequently inaccurate and maybe corrupt. Now, Adams has since said on Twitter that he was only advising people to avoid hate and suggesting that the cancellation of his cartoon signals that free speech in America is under assault. Now, see, this this is what troubles me. They're taking him off um, all these newspapers that nobody fucking reads anymore um, because he said racist shit. And, and he can't understand why they're canceling him. What I can't understand is why didn't he know that he would be canceled by saying this ridiculous stuff? Is he one of these cult members that's been radicalized and brainwashed? Apparently he is. Apparently he is. But as I've said before, it's real easy not to get canceled. You get canceled when you do or say fucked up shit. So if you don't want to be canceled, don't do or say fucked up shit. It seems very easy. And it's not about free speech. Free speech is there for everybody. You can say a lot of things, but there is accountability. There is ramifications from the things you see. And if these newspapers don't want to be associated with the racist, that's their fucking prerogative. It's their business. They keep you on and they sell less papers. And I don't know how they could sell less papers. How many papers do they fucking sell? But these are independent comp companies. They have a right to fire anybody they want, especially if they're going out in the public and doing racist shit. 
I'm not mad at these newspapers for cutting uh, this Scott Adams and Dilbert. I fucking applaud them. It's about goddamn time. Andrews McMeal Syndication, the company that distributes Dilbert, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Not surprised. They got to be shitting their pants. The newspapers that have cut the comic strip have been very clear with readers. Scott Adams, creator of Dilbert Comic Strip, went on a racist rant this week, and we will no longer carry his comic strip in The Plain Dealer, wrote Chris Quinn, editor of the paper. This is not a difficult decision. Of course it's not. If you found out that uh, a columnist or a cartoonist on your newspaper was a murderer or a rapist or a, or, 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 or a thief... Once everybody knows what kind of human it is, it's natural. You fire the motherfucker. Quinn said, we are not a home for those who espouse racism. We certainly do not want to provide them with financial support. Now, Gannett, which publishes the USA Today network of newspapers, tweeted that it aims to lead with inclusion and strive to maintain a respectful and equitable environment for the diverse communities we serve nationwide. Now, the Washington Post said it also pulled the comic strip from the newspaper. In light of Scott Adams' recent statements promoting segregation, the Washington Post has ceased publication of the Dilbert comic strip. Well... He's been doing this for a fucking number of years, and maybe it's about time, especially if he's been a racist all along. You know, I've said this before. There's a lot of people that are concerned about white people becoming the minority. And I tend to believe those people who are worried about becoming the minority in this country are the same people that have treated the current minority, people of color, badly. They're afraid of retribution. Well, as as far as what I know of the people of color I know, there won't be any retribution. But these crazy fucks think there will. And maybe there should be. I mean, that's the thing. If 50% of white people in the, or, or, or black people in this country aren't feeling it for white people, I'm sad about that. You know, especially since there's some of us that see them as friends and equals and neighbors and colleagues. But I understand it because, honestly, people of color have been treated horribly by the people in this country, and they continue to be treated horribly. I would bet that percentage would be lower had we not had Donald Trump in office for four years. The... White supremacy and the racism has always been here, but it was buried under rocks for a long time. Donald Trump said ollie ollie in free and made it cool for these people to come out and speak out. And let's be honest, racism in this country is fucking horrific. It's, it's disturbing. It's disappointing. The fact that in 2023, we are dealing with the racism to the extent that we're dealing with is a fucking embarrassment. There is no justification for it. It's just uh, ill-advised, misinformed, undereducated, fucking ignorant fucks that espouse racism. 
And if I was a person of color, I might look side-eyed at a white person, depending on where we are. I've told this story before. Um, you know, I, I talked about Savannah. I like going to Savannah. And in Savannah, white people are the minority. Never fucking had a problem there. I have more problems in Minneapolis than I ever have in Savannah. But I had a couple of sad experiences when I've been in situations. And it was very, it was very subtle. But, but I noticed it because I, I tend to be able to read people pretty well. You know, I might be someplace and I talk to everybody and uh, I might run into a person of color and I start a conversation and it's a friendly conversation. I'm joking with them and they're joking with me, but they're always looking at me kind of weird. What's this old white guy, this baby boomer being nice to me? What's he trying to do? They're suspicious of it. And I get it, man. I would be fucking suspicious of it, too. All we can do is treat people like people. The color of their skin, the color of their hair, the color of their eyes really doesn't change anything. Humans are fucking humans. We're all the same goddamn species. It's like, (laughs) it's like, it's just fucking ridiculous. And it, it really pains me. I don't know why. It upsets me. Well, I know why. Because I see racism as the epitome of bullying, and I fucking hate bullies. So anyway, if you're a big Dilbert fan, fuck you. (laughs) If you're still getting a paper, you got to get the internet. You can get the paper on the internet. You don't need to get a paper. And Scott Adams will no longer be doing Dilbert any place but in those those Republican white supremacist rags down south. He'll still have some people that run it. I think he's right. I stand for them. It's okay to be a white guy. And, you know, that's the weird thing about this. And this is how they always react to things. If black people um, express some suspicion, I think it's justified. All we can do as people who aren't racist is try to make them feel comfortable, make friends, understand their circumstances. We would be of the same mindset if we were in that position, those white people anyway. But they always do the same thing. They always play the victim. They victimize people of color, the racists do, the white supremacists do. And then they start crying and saying, look, man. Why isn't it okay to be a white person? Why isn't there a white history month? You know, all that shit. They're the fucking victims. They're not the victims. We have a lot of victims in this country that are truly victims. And old white people, you aren't the fucking victims. So shut the fuck up. All right. We've got this story. It happened a while back. There's a legal battle battle over Representative Scott Perry's phone, and it's becoming a little clearer. You remember, right after the search of Donald Trump's home, they stopped Scott Perry, the FBI did, and they grabbed his phone. Now, it's one thing to grab the phone, but apparently you have to go through court and all this stuff to actually look at what's on the phone. 
Now, if we know the FBI, they've already gone through this whole fucking thing. Now it's just a matter of whether they can use it against Scott Perry. Now, Scott Perry said all the time there is personal stuff. Well, if that be the case, why are you fighting it so hard? Now, there's other shit there. He was in the thick of it with the insurrection on January 6th, and there's going to be a lot of evidence there that is going to implicate him and probably a lot of other people. Now, in a December 51-page decision unsealed Friday, U.S. District Court Chief Judge Beryl Howell revealed Perry had requested to shield 2,219 files from the January 6th committee investigating former president and his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. He wants to hide that shit. The powerful public interest in accessing these judicial records cannot be understated, wrote Howell in her memorandum. On Friday, Perry's phone was seized one day after the FBI raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in August, claimed it merely held personal or related files. There were none of government's business, which Howell has since refuted. The judge says, ah, yeah, yeah, you're fucking lying about that. Perry, of course, a big ally of former President Trump, sued the Department of Justice to prevent his phone from being accessed. However, he quietly dropped that suit. We didn't know that. He did that in October while continuing to assert that the Constitution's speech or debate clause should shield it from investigators. So they're getting the information. While Howell allowed Perry to keep 161 of his records from investigators, she ordered him to disclose 2,055 files, which included 960 of his contacts with the executive branch. 960 contacts with the executive branch. What is plain in the clause does not shield Representative Perry's political discussions with state legislators concerning hearings, Um, about possible election fraud and actions, actions that they could take to challenge the, uh, uh, the, the election results in Pennsylvania, she wrote. Now, in December, Washington, D.C. judge added this astonishing view of the scope of the legislative privilege Perry claimed to be protected by would truly cloak members of Congress with a powerful dual nondisclosure and immunity shield for virtually any of their activities, and we know that is bullshit. Now, Perry was a, was kind of a liaison between the White House and Jeffrey Clark. You remember Jeffrey Clark. He is the guy that was a, a nobody in the Department of Justice who came up with the idea of sending letters from the DOJ to swing states saying, stop counting, there's election fraud. And when the AG at the time, Rosen, said, now you're not going to do that, Donald Trump considered firing Rosen and making Jeffrey Clark this nobody, unqualified piece of shit, the attorney general. Well, of course, most of the DOJ and White House said, if you do that, we're all fucking resigning. So Donald Trump backed down. Now, we also know that... This clown and other Republicans sought preemptive pardons before the end of Trump's term. 
Perry was previously subpoenaed to testify by the January 6th committee, but of course he refused to show up. Howell's ruling that the files warrant investigation is still being debated by a three-judge panel in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, so it's not finalized yet, as yet. Should they reject Perry's arguments, the speech or debate clause should protect his communications. He would have to request the full bench of the D.C. Circuit Court judges or the Supreme Court uh, itself to reconsider. So I'm thinking that this information is going to come out. And frankly, a lot of this information is already known by the DOJ. They've talked to tons and tons of people. We've got, you know, we had um, the January 6th committee depose almost a 1,000 people or more. And all those depositions, of course, have gone to the DOJ, and the DOJ has done their share of... uh, of depositions too. So whether they need uh, Perry's uh, phone or not, I, who knows. But this guy lied to the courts, saying it's all personal stuff and no, no political stuff. And clearly that was a lie, save for 161 files. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Scott Perry is the epitome of a piece of shit. He was part of the insurrection. As I said, he was the mediator between the White House and Jeffrey Clark. It didn't work. It didn't pan out, which is so often the case with Trump Lafux. They continue to fail at every turn. But it may. it sounds like we may end up seeing what's going on in uh, this phone of Scott Perry's. Now, actually, we may never see it, but it will go to the DOJ, maybe to the grand jury. And then unless uh, unless our, our lady from the Georgia grand jury gets on that grand jury, we probably won't hear anything. But anyhow, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. It's not good news for Scott Perry. It's not good news for Donald Trump. It's not good news for the Trump administration. We've been waiting to hear on this a long time. And while we don't have a final decision, we do have the perspective, the perception by the judge that was looking at this. And that's a good signal that uh, this stuff is going to be released to the DOJ. And as I said, they probably read all this stuff already. It's not a matter of whether they can see it. It's a matter of whether they can use it. Uh, I suspect we'll get some kind of decision on this sometime soon. There's got to be a certain amount of urgency given the importance of what is being discussed here, what is being investigated, and uh, hopefully that will be finalized very soon. All right, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
I gotta be honest, this cold is kind of fucking with me here, but never fear. I spent many a days being sick as you possibly can be and still going on the air. I had a weird situation as a traffic reporter. I had to be there at 6 in the morning. Whether there was 15 feet of snow or I was sick as shit, I really didn't have a backup. Nobody to call at 4.30 in the morning and say, go in for me. I just kind of had to go in. And uh, I always toughed it out through, almost always toughed it out. There was one instance where I was on the air and my voice was going. And then I got to some point where my voice was completely gone. I couldn't be heard. I was opening my mouth. I was trying to talk, but nothing was coming out. And as you can imagine, being on the radio, uh, that's a problem. And uh, finally, they came up to me and said, Mike, you need to fucking go home. We can't even hear you. But uh, go home, get better, and, and and then come back, which I did. And it was only a day or two. But uh, when I left, <laughs> when I left my job, I had like 15,000 hours of sick time that I, I never used because I, I couldn't afford to be sick. There was nobody to replace me. It was kind of a specialized job and a job that nobody else felt comfortable doing. So um, I just fucking went in. So this little cold and doing a one-hour podcast ain't shit. I'm going to kick this cold's ass. <laughs> of course, I'm 62 now, so it may be a little tougher than it used to be, but uh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Now, you know the story. We've been talking about it a lot. Kevin McCarthy decides to release all the security footage from the Capitol on January 6th, some 41,000 hours of this bullshit. And he releases it. And you think, well, you know, the J6 committee released all the evidence they had in their investigation. It seems natural that, uh, that uh, Kevin McCarthy, if he really wanted to re- release that uh, security footage. But see, Kevin did it a little differently than the J6 committee. Of course, the J6 committee gave it to everybody, every media outlet, anybody who wanted to fucking see it, whether they were in the media or not. But not Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy went to Fox News and didn't give it to the entirety of Fox News. Just one guy, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, a guy who had been talking shit about Kevin McCarthy. And when Kevin McCarthy was asked, why did you give this to Tucker Carlson? His only answer was, "Uh, well, I promised him. I'm willing to bet, Kevin, you've made a lot of promises in your life that you didn't come through, like uh, supporting the Constitution, like serving your constituents. You didn't seem to follow through with those things, so I don't know why this, this servitude to Tucker Carlson is so important to you. I have a feeling that he believes Tucker Carlson can ruin him and get him kicked out of uh, his position as Speaker of the House, so as... Kevin McCarthy does on a regular basis, he gets on his knees and kisses the ass of Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and now Tucker Carlson. Standard protocol for Kevin McCarthy. 
Well, as you imagine, as you can imagine, there's a lot of people upset about him doing this. Of course, people in Washington are upset about it because they don't know what he's going to release. And when the J6 committee released a lot of hours of that same security footage, they were very careful not to give away too much. Because if you give away all the footage, it gives you all the secrets that you don't want released about the U.S. Capitol, like special hallways. Where did Nancy Pelosi go to stay safe? You expose those things to all these dumb Trump fucks, and then the next time they're going to be better at it. So that is a problem. But they also have another group of people that are pissed off and angry too, and that would be all the other media outlets, they don't see this as fair, and justifiably so. Several major media organizations have deemed access to the thousands of hours of video recorded inside the U.S. Capitol during the January 6th insurrection uh, after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy gave the footage to Fox News host Tucker Carlson. The letter sent to congressional leaders Friday argues that the footage given exclusively to Carlson should be shared with other media groups earlier this week. Earlier this week, McCarthy gave Carlson, as I said, 41,000 hours. Now, people say, how could you have 41,000 hours of footage um, for one or two days? Well, they got a shitload of cameras, and uh, each camera would have 24 or 48 hours of video footage on that, and that's how you get to 41,000. But this is all closed-circuit footage from inside the U.S. Capitol, for the most part, during the attack. Now, it would be nice if other media outlets could have it because we know that Fox News and Tucker Carlson is going to do some creative editing and take bits and pieces out to support their bullshit lies. The letter was sent on behalf of ABC, Advanced Publications, Axios, CNN, CBS, Gannett, The Los Angeles Times, Politico, ProPublica, and Scripps. Attorney Charles Tobin represents the outlet, said full public access to the footage is needed to to complete the historical record. Now, even if they have this, there are some security risks. But if we aren't worried about the security risk, and apparently the Trump administration and the Republicans are not worried about security risks, at the very least, if we could get it out to all media outlets, we could get a fair read on what these video things mean. It's not just left up to Fox to sit in some dark and dank editing bay and pull out the shit that they think will make them look good. I can't believe that they're going to find much of that. The only thing I can think of is they'll show a hallway with nobody in it and say, see, nothing happened. <laughs> and only people that would believe anything that comes out of their fucking mouths are the 30% or 25% of the trump Still, it's a way to try to control the narrative, and uh, we just can't allow that. Now, they went on to say, without full public access to the completed historical record, there is concern that an ideology-based narrative of an already polarizing event will take hold in the public consciousness with destabilization risks to the legitimacy of Congress, the Capitol Police, and various federal investigators and prosecutors of the January 6th crimes, Tobin wrote. 
Carlson has repeatedly defended rioters who attacked the Capitol and called the hearings on January 6th insurrection propaganda. The whole idea of Tucker Carlson trying to spread this ideology that nothing happened on January 6th is absolutely ridiculous and is the epitome, a perfect illustration of how they use gaslighting. Now we know no matter what they show, they can't diminish what happened that day. 140 cops were injured. A couple of cops died. One woman was trampled, one Trumplefuck woman was trampled by her own people. The funny part of this, and everybody gets on me when I say this is funny, but you got to admit, it's kind of fucking funny. This woman, this poor woman, was storming the Capitol, and then when, of course, uh, the Capitol Police pushed back and everybody was running out of the Capitol, she fell, and her very own people, the Trumplefucks, trampled her. Now, that's not funny. Anybody gets hurt. Anybody gets killed. That's not funny. The funny part is that she had been carrying a flag that said, don't tread on me. Now, I don't know. To me, that's funny. And, you know, you get a little karma in this situation. I feel bad for this woman and her family, but she shouldn't have been there. And had she not been there, she would be fine today. All right, let's talk a little bit about Georgia. We've got a lot of shit going on down there. And people are starting to get kind of excited about possible indictments coming out. You know, we heard the uh, forewoman from the uh, special grand jury. She gave us a lot of insights that we hadn't had, gave us reasons to be a little excited about what is to come. I've talked about it. You know, you listen to the media and you listen to the Republicans. Oh, she screwed it up. Everything's inadmissible. Shut the fuck up. That's not true. The, the judge of the special grand jury came out and said as much. So can we shut the fuck up about that? Anyway, the top staff investigators for the House probe into the January 6th insurrection the January 6th committee, believes indictments are near following Georgia's special grand jury probe into the election manipulating or manipulation in that state. T- Timothy Heafy, former U.S. attorney, says it seems clear there will be indictments in Georgia. He was on the Ari Melber show on MSNBC's The Beat on Friday. I'm basing this on facts, he added. There is strong evidence of a number of people committing both crimes in Georgia and federal crimes. As for the House panel's January 6th probe, Heafy said the riot at the Capitol was part of a determined multi-part plan to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after the 2020 election. And that's the interesting thing. They tried to sell us on the fact, oh, it's just a bunch of people got crazy, got out of hand. It was a bunch of tourists that got worked up. Well, that wasn't the case. And as we found out later, there are multiple parts to this attempt to overthrow the government and certainly overturn the election. We know the activities in Georgia. We know about um, the activities in D.C. leading up to all of this. This was a well-organized, well-funded effort by Trumplefox. 
But while rioters are being sentenced for their role, who set them in motion in the broader plan is a fundamentally different inquiry, whose consequences have yet to hit, he told Melber. The final step in a sophisticated plot to upend the election was an angry mob launched down Pennsylvania Avenue toward the Capitol. He said a clear reference to Donald Trump's speech to his supporters before the siege to go to the Capitol and fight like hell. He went on to say, we made clear conclusions and very public criminal referrals concerning the January 6th, he explained, after the panel found evidence of intent to disrupt the joint session. There was conspiratorial conduct. There may have been some seditious conspiracy and other serious crimes. Well, we know some of the Oath Keepers have been found guilty of seditious conspiracy. We know the Proud Boys are currently on trial for seditious conspiracy. And as I've said all along, if there is seditious conspiracy within the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, well, there's got to be people they've conspired with. And if this is a multi-level plan to overturn an election, this gentleman is right, this hefe that uh, there have to be people who set this in motion, who worked out the logistics, who funded this shit. He says, now it's up to the Department of Justice to indict, he noted. He believes the DOJ hasn't yet acted because they're being really careful and really thorough. But the evidence is there of criminal conduct, he added, including strong evidence of Trump's aim to criminally obstruct, impede, or influence the joint session. It's what I've been saying all along. Uh, It's taking too long. I will give you that. But the fact of the matter is, it's going to happen. I still get this from people on TikTok. Oh, nothing's going to happen. Everybody's getting away with it. No, they're not. This wouldn't have been going on as long as it has the investigations, the depositions, a thousand people deposed by the January 6th committee, and who knows how many the DOJ has deposed. We know that in Georgia they deposed 75 people. We know from the Georgia situation that according to the forewoman for the special grand jury, that uh, some people even lied while they were on the uh, on the stand. She also tells us that there are no surprises. There will be no twist to this story, meaning the people who we suspect are going to get indicted will likely get indicted. At the top of that list is Donald Trump, and I know this because, well, he was recorded committing the crime. So... A lot of people in the know are thinking we're very close to seeing some indictments. And once we start seeing the indictments, that's going to be yet another paradigm shift in this country. You know, Donald Trump spent four years, six years, telling us shit that wasn't true. And then the media amplifies that. And there are people who don't look into things and just want to hear the clickbait And they believe it. Now, when the indictments start to fall and the evidence is released, these people, however uninformed, are going to realize that they've been wrong all along. 
It's going to be interesting to see how they react. Now, a lot of people think there'll be violence. I do not. There might be some crazies, one or two here and there, that do some stupid shit. They'll end up dead or in fucking jail. But there won't be the mass attacks. I'm almost certain of that. I mean, we've heard about that before. Oh, the Civil War's coming. We're going to attack this place or that place. But they can't even get people to show up at Donald Trump's rallies. Do you think they're going to show up to a place where people are waiting for them and they're going to have to be accountable for it? They're all going to get arrested like the seven or 800 that did the crash the Capitol? Or they're going to get shot and killed? I guarantee you, if there is violence, if there are a violent crowd going after any building or any group of people, there is going to be deadly force in response. We'll see what happens. I'm waiting. You're waiting. I'm anxious. I'm getting impatient. And I know you are too. But what can we do? We can just sit and wait. Uh, Whoever is investigating these cases and finally going to decide about an indictment, they're going to do what they do the way they want to do it. We can whine and cry about it as much as we want, but they're going to do what they're going to do. That said, If it goes a lot longer from this point forward, we as a people, people of a sound mind, meaning Democrats, people of average or above intelligence, meaning the Democrats, we got to start yapping. We got to start talking loud and we got to shove it in their face because if I hope we don't have to pressure these fucks to do it. But if that's what it takes, then let's fucking do it. All right, former Vice President Mike Pence vowed to fight an effort by the special counsel, Jack Smith, to force him to testify against former President Donald Trump in the January 6th probe. Now, during a sit-down with NBC's Ali Vitale, Pence discussed a number of topics, including his potential 2024 presidential run and recent reports that Smith is looking to compel Pence to testify in a probe into the January 6th Capitol riot. Now, when I say compel, that means pressure. That means to leverage. And Jack Smith isn't uh, sitting on his thumbs. Two weeks after he sent that um, subpoena, he started trying to find other legal ways to as I said, as they say, compel him, which is another word for forcing that motherfucker to do his duty. It's ironic that a former vice president can't step up to our own DOJ and tell the truth about what happened when a group of his people, Trump tried to overthrow this country and overturn an election. That is shameful. That is embarrassing. I know Pence thinks he's trying to position himself to run for president in 2024. It's never going to happen. Nobody's going to vote for that fucker, including the Republicans. Pence is done. He's delusional at this point. Pence called the effort unprecedented and potentially unconstitutional, which is absolute bullshit. Subpoenaing, I always have trouble with that word. Subpoena, subpoenaed, I'm good with, but when you add the ing, it's hard to say. Subpoenaing, 
a former vice president to testify in court against the president with whom they served, I believe is unprecedented in American history, Pence said. A lot of gobbledygook that doesn't mean anything. But as I said last week, I believe it's also unconstitutional. Well, you would be wrong, Mike Pence, and you know you're wrong. You're just fucking lying, as Trump lafucks tend to do. And we'll make that case thorough uh, through the ordinary judicial process. But my counsel informs me that I'm, I'm constrained from speaking about it any further. But I stand by what I said, and I will continue to do so. You can't talk about it, but you sure the fuck wrote a book about it. Stupid son of a bitch. He, he's going to have to testify. He knows he's going to have to testify, but he has to play this game so he can appease the dumb Trumplefux and dumbass diaper Donnie. I know that you can't talk about the specifics of this case, but I wonder if you can just zoom out and talk about if you think the Department of Justice investigation into potentially overturning an election is valid, is legitimate, Vitaly asked. Legitimate question. Now, Pence reiterated previous criticisms for Trump handling of the January 6th riot, but he said he still will not be forced to testify. Sorry, Mike. Yes, you will. Jack is going to compel you, which in legal terms really means Jack is going to put his foot up your ass. Now, Pence went on to say, well, as I've said before, I believe January 6th was a tragic day. Oh, really? I had no right to overturn the election. You had no legal authority to overturn the election. That is the only reason you didn't. People want to make him out to be a hero to do his fucking job. It's funny. My my wife is a big sports fan. And she always gets irritated when somebody tackles somebody on the field and then gets up and celebrates and make these weird poses. She always says, this motherfucker is excited. Because he simply did his job? She's got a point. He goes on to say, President Trump was wrong. I've said and I've written repeatedly that I thought his words that day were reckless and endangered my family and people that were at the Capitol. But I'm not convinced that talking, taking bad advice from lawyers is a crime. But I'll let you process the process play out. You do that, Mike. You're You're going to have to talk and... You know, if your buddies said they were going to hang you from a gallows and you're cool with that, okay. Okay. That is fine. Did you hear this story? (laughs) I did a TikTok about it and I have to laugh about it. Did you know that Donald Trump has got a new gig, a part-time gig, a side hustle, if you will? Now, this is a true story. I read it from a true, uh, a legitimate source. Apparently, Donald Trump is a little bored with what he's got going on in Mar-a-Lago. He doesn't feel comfortable going out in rallies because nobody shows up anymore. He's got a bunch of investigations hanging over his head, so he's got to find some things to do. And guess what he's doing, his side hustle? Apparently, he's scheduled every Thursday to go down to the bar in Mar-a-Lago and DJ. Yeah, Donnie's DJ. And, and and so he, <laughs> what he does is they hand him a, a, a fucking iPad. 
And then he sits there all night drinking his pop and shoveling down Big Macs and picking out songs. Celine Dion this, Michael Bolton that. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great set. I'm sure it's a fucking great set. But he's sitting there and doing that. Now, I have to think the natural progression, because he wants to be the star of the show, he goes from DJ to MC. Um, and and I, I have a rapper name for him. See what you think. I think he should go by the name of Little Dipey D. Little Dipey D. I like that. And his first song, if he could write something, he'll probably have a ghostwriter write it for him. But it should be Mo Classified Documents, Mo Problems. <laughs> Fucking Donnie. What what has what has he level has he dropped to? He's going to Mar a Lago, DJing music every Thursday night. And I'm sure in between songs, he's throwing out things like election fraud. It was rigged. I was robbed. I should be reinstated. God damn it. You would think people going to Mar-a-Lago, even if you are a Trumplefuck, aren't you getting tired of it? Aren't you embarrassed by listening to this shit over and over again? Apparently not, because you continue to do it. Since we're on the topic of pathological liars, I got to throw in George Santos. Yeah, he's a complete fraud, but you know what? He's still sitting in Congress. He's still on some committees. Way to go to Republicans. He embarrasses you every fucking day, and you just embrace him. Well, there's another lie that's come up, and this one could be a little more serious. Hard to imagine that it would be more serious than the fucking egregious shit that he's already done. But Representative George Santos lied to a Seattle judge about working for Goldman Sachs during a 2017 court appearance, according to audio of the proceeding that was obtained and published Friday by Politico. Yeah, lying to a judge. Not a good idea. Granted, it was in 2017, but you've already come out and said, well, I didn't really work for Goldman Sachs. I worked for a company who worked with Goldman Sachs, which is also probably a lie. But when you lie in court and you're under oath and lie to a judge, well, that's a fucking problem. Introducing himself as George Anthony DeVolder Santos, he spoke at a bail hearing in support of a man accused of an ATM fraud scheme, Gustavo Ribeiro Trelha, stating that his parents and Trelha's parents knew each other in Brazil. So what? You're a fucking criminal. He's a fucking criminal. You're his... Uh, you're his uh, uh, rec- you're the, you're the person recommending this guy. Fuck. Santos said Trelha's parents had been sending money to ensure their son had a place to stay if he were released on bail. Santos was helping by finding an extended stay apartment through Airbnb or other such accommodations. Well, isn't he a fucking sweetheart? Now Trelha's public defender. Lady's name is Virginia Branham, introduced Santos to King County Superior Court Judge Sean O'Donnell, who wanted to hear from him directly. 
So the judge says, what do you do for work, George? He says, I'm an aspiring politician and I work for Goldman Sachs. Judge says, you work for Goldman Sachs in New York? Yup. <laughs> Which, of course, wasn't true. Santos did not appear to be under oath at the time, but still lying to a judge. I thought he had been under oath, but apparently not. He acknowledged in December that he had his resume after a New York Times investigation turned up no record, zero record of employment at either Goldman Sachs or Citigroup, another financial giant he claimed to work for. Now, there's been all kinds of lies that have come to light. Santos, it turned out, had told wild tales over the year about how his mother died, his family's ancestry, and uh, biographical details. The freshman Republican has refused bipartisan calls for his resignation, although he gave up his House committee assignments amid the controversy. Has he really given them up, though? Is he actually off them? I, I haven't seen any verification of that. He wasn't put on any important committees, and he probably backed off because Kevin said, you either get the fuck off or we're going to kick you out the door. Now, Politico explained Santos' connection to Trelha after speaking with him through a translator. The two had become roommates in Florida. They met on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> what a romantic story. Uh, it's a Facebook where a group of Brazilians living in Orlando got together on Facebook, Politico, Politico said. It viewed a copy of the of the lease. Trelha was accused of using ATM skimming equipment in downtown Seattle. Well, that's some pretty sophisticated stuff for a guy who's just misunderstood. Do you know what a uh, ATM skimming thing is? I've heard about this. I've never had experience with it, thankfully. Uh, but apparently, you know where you put your card in and it sucks it in and, and it uh, um, does your banking, right? It gets all your information and does your banking. Well, what these fucks would do, people who do this sort of thing, they have this attachment that gets, goes over where you stick your card in. You may not even notice it if you're looking at it. It goes over it. So what happens is you put your card in their thing. It gets sucked through, read, and stored, and then goes into the ATM, and you can do your regular business. You don't even know that it fucking happened. Wow. Now, in Politico, it said... uh, uh, this Trelha had a fake Brazilian ID card and 10 suspected fraudulent cards in his hotel room, according to arrest documents. An empty FedEx package police found in his rental car was sent from the Winter Park apartment he shared with Santos. Trelha declined to say who sent the package from the apartment. Well, let's presume he didn't send it to himself, so that would leave only one person. That would leave George Santos. Well, unfortunately, Trelha was unable to post bail and ultimately deported back to Brazil, which I find weird. Somehow, George Santos was able to donate $700,000 to his campaign because he's wildly successful. 
but he couldn't come up with a couple thousand bucks to fucking bail out his best buddy from Facebook. That seems kind of questionable, doesn't it? All right, the last last story I want to talk about, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that Neanderthal, psychopathic, pathological, lying piece of shit. Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments about a national divorce apparently has upset yet another piece of shit, Steve Bannon. Now, these guys have been on the same side for six years, but now... Apparently, Steve sees what Marjorie Taylor Greene's saying about a national divorce bridge too far. And the reason he's saying that is because, of course, Steve Bannon, as criminal as he is, understands how stupid a comment that is. The GOP normally takes the embarrassment caused by the Georgia Republican with a grain of salt while she's wildly unpopular with many Democrats and independents. She raises an awful lot of money and MAGA world loves her. See, that's that's the interesting thing. She is a nobody from a shithole district in Georgia that voted her back in. And not only is she back on committees now, she basically pulls the strings on Kevin McCarthy. So for all intents and purposes, Marjorie Taylor is in charge of the Republican Party. You got to think there are some normal-minded Republicans that have to be absolutely embarrassed by this. Now, still her comments about a split between red states and blue states rankled plenty of Republicans, but you don't hear them doing anything, do you? That includes Steve Bannon, though, who said this country is not going to split up. You might as well go to Arlington National Cemetery and go over to the section of the veterans at Gettysburg and spit on their graves as they even mentioned that if you even mentioned that in this country would be split apart. Even Steve Bannon. Fuck. If you are at a point when Steve Bannon says you're too crazy. This is maybe a problem you want to look into. The conservative pundit, Steve Bannon, continued, we're on the side of the righteous. Fuck you. We are not going to surrender. We are not going to some negotiation. I can assure you, I love California. I love New York City. They happen to be run by left-wing progressives. But to think that we would ever allow California to just split off and be another country... Is crazy. Now, Bannon closed his rant. First off, we don't have time for nonsense. We're at all hands on deck war. We don't have time to chase rabbits. And I, and look, I really love Marjorie Taylor Greene, but she's a stupid bitch. I added that. Even with the Kevin McCarthy thing, she's a fighter. But there's just something she's just dead wrong on. And this is one of them. Wow. Steve Bannon thinks you're too crazy. Too radical. Steve Bannon, who's already been committed, uh, convicted of crimes. Pardoned by Donald Trump on one, waiting to go to jail on the other. But Marjorie's gone too far. This goes back to what I've said before, and this is what I'm enjoying the most. Watching the Republicans fight amongst themselves. No time to even consider the Democrats because they're too busy fighting amongst themselves. 
That will be the demise of the Republican Party. I guarantee you that. It's not going to get better over the next two years. Even if they decided to try to rehabilitate themselves or remake the Republican Party, they couldn't do it in two years, especially with all that's going to be happening in those two years. All right, we are going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I'm going to lay down, try to overcome this cold, and do better tomorrow. But every day, all I can say is I do the best I can. I'm 62 years old. I'm not in the epitome of shape. I've got a bit of an attitude. So some days are going to be worse than other days. But it's my fucking show, and I'm going to do it anyway. All right. Thank you for spending the time and listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.